Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the In For A Penny podcast. I'm Mark Schoffman, a freelance personal finance journalist, and I'm joined by my financial planner friend, Joshua Gersler, who runs an advisory business called The Orchard Practice. Hello. If you'd like to know a little bit more about us, you can check me out at www.cavendishcontent.com and Josh at www.topfs.co.uk. Each episode, we aim to give our perspective on the world of finance and money, and discuss some of the issues that crop up in business as well as everyday life. We hope that you'll learn something from our podcast as well as have some fun too. Hello. Hello. Hello, Mark. Thank you for downloading the latest episode of the In For A Penny podcast. It's a pleasure. I download every episode. Thank you for joining us, everyone. We are still in lockdown. It's now been announced that um, schools are not going to reopen further, so for other years beyond reception year one and year six until september so i didn't know that yeah that's been oh, well, confirmed was that today, today was it as of today which is the um 9th of june if you're listening on a different day so many parents who hoped for some respite are now facing having their kids being home from march until september ah so that's news to me we'll have to uh plan now yes. at home it's the children I feel sorry for. I think obviously it's half the parents, working parents, most of whom are working. But I think I'm quite sad for the kids because I feel there's a social and emotional aspect that a lot of them are missing out on by not going back to school and seeing their friends. And Yeah, it's very difficult for yeah. them. I mean, we're trying to do sort of socially distant bike rides and waves on the drive, but I don't know. It doesn't replace Kiss Chase, does it? No, good old Kiss Chase. Yeah, probably shouldn't play Kiss Chase during a pandemic. That's probably the worst thing to play. What do you think of this whole, uh, just to get serious on you now, this whole uh, thing with these protests at the moment, these Black Lives Matter protests? Yeah, it's sort of spiralled. Just to chuck a bomb at you, just to, on, so. <laughs> Obviously, I am a, an anti-racist and it's important. I think it. If there's been a lot of... Is an anti-racist like a really bad racist? What? You're an anti-racist, so you are a racist. I don't like race. I'm not do not approve of racism. Okay. And I think there's a lot of um, anger under the surface and above it that communities don't feel enough has been done. And I think lockdown and the pandemic and the stuff that happened in America has brought everything to the surface, and people are already quite wound up because they've there's stuff going on in the economy, and now. Yeah, yeah. It's and I don't think I think the government's not really doing enough because they sort of said, "Oh, remember social distancing and the uh, the rules, and you must you shouldn't go to protests." But what they should have really s- said was something to calm the anger. Say like, "Oh, we will we'll meet with community leaders and we'll we'll do these changes and we'll remove statues of slave traders," which I th- I hadn't really thought about this. I didn't really know much about how many statues we have in the in England of former I'd never heard of this uh, I'd never heard of this Edward Colston no before, everyone knows which, him now which shows my ignorance yeah and I think having watched something online of these people pulling it down and chucking it in a river mm. I, I don't agree with that sort of behavior I think one if you're going to protest when there's a pandemic going on 
you've got to be socially distanced mm. because that just puts the rest of us at risk. We're being sensible, staying at home, not yeah. seeing our parents and whoever else it may be. And all these people getting together is putting the rest of us at risk. Two, we probably shouldn't have statues. I don't think we should have statues on people that are, are, are racist, but you can't, that doesn't mean you can just go down and pull it down yourself. Mm. I think a lot of the people's argument is that they have, they tried to, to get rid of the statue via peaceful means. Okay. And it hasn't happened. Yeah, fair enough. I don't know the story in the background, so I'm giving yeah. my opinion without all the facts. So, you know, did you study Romeo and Juliet? In no. The, oh, I did in English literature for A-levels. And they talked about Verona and it being so hot and the heat winding everyone up. And that's what kind of pushed the rivalry and made everyone fight. So I think because it's been so hot, it's, people have got angry. So in fair Verona, the Montagues and Capulets, they're going crazy. <laughs> fair enough. To, yeah. lighten the, uh, to lighten the mood... I just had a little laugh. Um, my son has started reading a book. Well and, done. Uh, yeah, not for the first time, but he's reading okay. a book. And um, it's good for the kids to read out loud to, to parents to practice. So I said, do you want to read a bit to me? He said, he's reading along and he said, uh, reading the characters' names. And he said, and there's Harry and there's um, uh, Hermie One. I said, Hermie who's, who's Hermie One? Is it one of the characters, Harry Potter? <laughs> you worked out who Hermione One is? Hermione. Hermione, yeah, exactly. Very good. <laughs> Spelt Hermione One, and he read it yeah. very nicely. Uh, he laughed as well when I corrected him on that nice. one. <laughs> That's funny. Another thing to lighten the mood, Mark. Okay. You made me laugh in the last episode with your great use of the English language with the word conflate. You're right. Yeah. I, I come across it everywhere since we recorded have the you? episode. I've not it? stopped seeing the word in books I'm reading, in the newspapers. It's uh, So I take back the mickey taking. So it's a good word to conflate. Thank you. I'll try and bring a, another word into this podcast that will impress you. And I'm just going to throw it in at any point, probably now. See if I notice. So an interesting juxtaposition I wanted to make now was from uh, <laughs> Very good. talking about um, risk. Uh, the risk of um, people protesting and being quite close together now during these demonstrations. I wanted to talk about risk when it comes to managing your money. Yeah. So when you, when I, when we spoke last week, when we were, yeah. were thinking about what to talk about today, and you said you want to talk about risk profilers. Yeah. And my first response was that's, they're a waste of time. Yeah, that's often your response to any idea I have. <laughs> it wasn't the idea that it was a waste of time. It was it's okay. risk profiles. But I thought maybe that's a good thing to talk about, why I think risk profilers may be a bit of a waste of time and we can yeah. have a bit of a debate or an agreement. We'll see where we, uh, where we go. Um, do you want to maybe tell our listeners what risk profilers are? So, cause risk I write, profiling tools or whatever we want to call them. Well, I write quite a lot about DIY investing, and this is where I've mainly come across 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 risk profiling is that the word you're going to throw in across 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 <laughs> across uh, so you'll go onto a diy investment platform so it could be a robo advisor like nutmeg or uh wealthify or someone like aj bell to build your own automated portfolio and what they'll do is they'll try to set up a basket of funds based on what they think is your attitude to risk so the first thing they'll make you do is complete a what they call a risk questionnaire where you answer questions like, I'm happy to 
lose a bit of money in return for the prospect of a higher return. So I'm happy to lose a bit of money in the hope that I may get a higher return. Yeah, and you get like a, a, a yes, no, agree, strongly agree, strongly disagree. You get like a multiple yeah. choice answer, don't you? So there's a few questions that kind of test your understanding of risk and how much you're happy or comfortable to lose, how much risk you're prepared to take, what you think is risky. Sometimes they'll ask your understanding of cash and inflation and um, yeah, what different assets do and, that, and how it's important, whether you should have all your money in one type of, of share or diversify. So you'll do that. And then at the end, you'll be often given a risk rating. So sometimes it will just be something simple as you're balanced or you're cautious or you're adventurous. Sometimes there'll be something out of 10. So you could have a risk rating of eight, which is quite high, or a four, which is just below balanced. So you're a cautious balanced investor. Okay. So if we if we were to summarize, we'd say a risk profiling tool is some sort of multiple choice questionnaire to try and give you a category for the level of investment risk you should take. Is that, is that yeah. fair enough? Yeah. Okay. But you're happy to take. Okay. Yeah. And then from that, the platform will give you, put you in a whole load of funds. Yeah. Put you in a portfolio. Yeah. So whilst I've said they're a bit of a waste of time, we do them because we have to for compliance and regulatory purposes. Oh, blimmin' okay. compliance. Bloody compliance. Get ruining everything. You come here, you take our jobs. Um, so, compliance. So, we do it and we've got about five or six risk categories going from limited risk, cautious, balance, adventurous, speculative. Yeah, so, so there's some flaws with risk profiling tools. One of them is we're all human. So when we, our, our mood differs. So when we answer these questions, we might give one answer in the morning mm. or, and a different answer in the evening, depending on what's going on. It might vary dependent on what's going on in the world and the economy. So people might come out of these questionnaires more cautious after what's gone on the last few months. People tend to get a bit more cautious with age. So I don't necessarily think they provide a true answer so really they're they're a compliance tool and, and not much more if you think about it they don't really t- give you the full answer because what's more important is your goals and objectives your aims what are you actually trying to to do what are you actually trying to achieve so if we take a person such as yourself a mid-30s guy who's putting money away for let's say 20 30 years time yeah to, for retirement well if you come out of this uh, a risk questionnaire is low risk what does that mean you're gonna do just stick your money in the bank for 30 years in cash i think sometimes though these platforms will do annual adjust like readjustments rebalancing so i don't know if you're That's a different that's a different uh, part. So if if you come out of a questionnaire who's cautious or let's say limited risk, do, would you just put your money in the bank? Because that's what it's telling you to do. Yeah. But the biggest risk to your yours and your family's wealth, 
well, one of the biggest risks is leaving it in a bank and, and it getting eroded by inflation. So that's more of a risk. It doesn't ask you the question, um, how would you feel about living in poverty in your old age? That's, that's a bigger risk. Yeah. So everyone who is putting their money away for a long-term horizon really should be should be taking a high level of let's call it investment risk and by that i mean not i'm using the traditional uh, method of investment risk there as in going into a large portfolio of equities so global equities but that in reality is not high risk so over the long run a well diversified global equity portfolio is the best place for your money but how is it important that you know how much risk I'm prepared to take? Well, so tell me what you mean by that, because I think we, we might, if we dig a bit deeper, we'll probably be able to answer that. Do, do you need to know how much I'm prepared to put my money into certain assets and how likely I am to panic if things go a certain way before you put my money into a whole load of funds. So I think the middle part of your question there was the perfect bit there. Do I need to know how much you're going to panic? Yeah. Okay, so let's dig a bit onto that because I do. As, a, as your advisor, I need to know about your emotions, about your fears, as well as your goals and, and aims. So tell me what you mean by panic. What would make you panic? So you, you're going to need to know if, so saying the start of the pandemic and markets dropped by to know 20% or whatever and I could have logged into my portfolio and seen a whole load of my funds down and my money showing a loss for the last few months or maybe even a year or in some cases it could be that I'm now below what I was contributing in extreme yeah. cases so I could phone you and panic there yeah I could just panic generally because of the market and all the kind of news that's around so my job is to make sure you don't panic and you feel comfortable with whatever we are doing. So that's two, two, I guess, uh, parts to that. One is making sure we don't do anything you're not comfortable with, but two, more importantly, if there's something you should be doing that I think you currently feel uncomfortable with, my job is then to try and explain it to you to get you feeling more comfortable about it. So we called, um, or I personally called all my clients whose, whose wealth I, I look after at the beginning of this pandemic, when we saw the markets falling to reassure people about what was going on and what will happen in the future. So I think in the first few weeks, markets were down about 35%. Now, since then they're up about 50%. Mm -hmm. So overall we're only down about 7%. Off the off the pre market um, the pre pandemic numbers, so if you panicked at that point when the markets dropped and sold your investments to put your money into cash, which a hell of a lot of people did, you'd be kicking yourself. Hmm. I had a call. I actually had a call from a a, a prospective client um, last week, and he called me because he did exactly that. He saw the markets had dropped about 35% and thought this is just going to keep going and going. So I sold all the investments and put them into cash. So I was on a DIY platform. 
Uh, he, it wasn't actually a DIY platform. He just had a direct uh, pension with Scottish Widows, not on a platform or anything, like an yeah. old, old school style pension. But it's the same principle. Mm-hmm. And after he sold it, I think the next day after he sold it, the market went up 10%. And it's been going up and up since, and he hasn't bought back in yet because he's worried now if he buys back in, it's going to drop again. So he's completely lost all his confidence in everything. Now, this isn't an existing client. This is a, a potential client. And I think we have to make sure, we as in you and I, that people understand that being invested in the great companies, the great businesses of the world, i.e. the stock market, is the way to grow, to accumulate and maintain your long-term wealth. And yes, there's going to be ups and downs along the way, but you just got to forget about it. You just really you just got to shut your eyes um, and enjoy it. But wouldn't it be more reassuring if I knew I'd done a risk profile questionnaire and I, I knew I was a a seven and someone could just say, well, because you're a seven, that means you can cope with this. I don't think so. I don't think the score on the paper tells you whether you're going to panic. We're all human. So we all, we all suffer from the human emotion of fear. So when you see the market drop 35%, very few people are immune to feeling a little bit scared, a little bit nervous about that. I had my money invested in, in these, um, in the same, same investments that you've got your money. So, but I understand it. I'm not saying you don't, but I understand it that that is part and parcel of investing. Every year, the market tends to go from high to a low of about 15%. That's every year you're going to see that. Hmm. Every three to five years, you're probably going to see a 20% drop. Every 10 years or so, you might see a 40 or 50% drop. So, what's more important, I think, is knowing these numbers, knowing that volatility, Okay, so it's a key word there, volatility, not risk. Knowing that volatility, if if you can say it, is um, part and parcel of investing. Do you want to explain what volatility is? Yeah, volatility Volatility is the, um, how would I, how would I explain it? Let's, let's, let's talk of a roller coaster. When the roller coaster goes up and down the loop, the loops, it's not just like a flat monorail. Yeah. Okay? So that is the volatility of the roller coaster going up and down. That's like your, that's like share prices go up and down on a daily basis. And sometimes you throw up. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You do. Um, so whether you are a on a, on a profile on a questionnaire a very cautious or a very adventurous person, you need to be investing in equities if you want to accumulate and maintain your wealth. Where that might, where that profiler um, is flawed is it doesn't have that emotional aspect of it to, to sort of understand how you're going to feel when you're on that roller coaster. And what we answer now is very different to what you'll answer when you're in the, in the moment. Yeah, so you know now, having been, I know we're not out of it completely, but having been just come out of a big dip in the market, you've, you've, you've experienced it now. And probably for a lot of people our age, 
so mid 30s it's it might be from an investment point of view the first time they've come across that 2008 so the the sort of uh, the credit crunch for most people our age i think were maybe finishing university or just beginning jobs mm-hmm. so not necessarily heavily invested like like you might be now but so having been through it now and seen how you do come out of these things you will hopefully when we come across this again and i say when because it'll definitely happen again where markets are going to massively drop you'll be you'll be much more comfortable with it and understand just sit tight just hang on so what do you do with the risk questionnaires that you that you do we do the questionnaire because we have to and it comes out with a score so whether that be cautious balance of interest whatever it may be and we will try and weight the level of equities in the portfolio or temper it down if people are more nervous so if you do a questionnaire with me and come out as the middle let's just say and i think actually you know what mark you should be taking more risk than that i'll tell you i'll say you know what you you, your score on the questionnaire is middle you would be having 60% 60% of your portfolio and equities, really, if you want to grow your wealth, you should be doing 80% and trying to understand how you feel about that. How can I say no? Of course you can. Yeah. I, I'm, your, I'm your planner. I'm your advisor. I'm not a dictator. Can I say I want more risk? Can I say I disagree with the outcome and I want more risk? Yeah. You can do whatever you want. Because you can do, I guess you can also do that on these risk profiles on a DIY platform or robo-advisor, but then there's no one to guide you. So I guess you're, produ- you're providing that extra value in, in, in many ways. What Could you do your job without these questionnaires, though? I know you need to. Yeah, I don't think... It, I think I could do absolutely fine without the questionnaires, as long as I'm chatting to clients and, and understanding their uh, feelings. But how would you do, how would you do that? Because what... Surely my mood would be this. It would be the same issues with how I was feeling that day. Because if we, if we could, I'd probably put everyone. I don't do this, but in an ideal world, everyone would be in a globally a global equity, well diversified portfolio. That'd be the ideal. That is what you should be doing. It's what everyone should be doing with a hundred percent equities. It doesn't really pan out like that because of compliance and, and regulation. But ideally, you'd put everyone in that unless there was a reason not to. So by that, I mean um, you are you might be in a stage in your life where you've accumulated all the wealth you need. And you, and you might say, well, you know what? I don't actually want to invest. We might say, give your money away so i don't think you need depends on the advisor i think as well it's a it's a bit of a lazy way to advise i use it okay so i'm 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 not criticizing everyone but it is a bit of a lazy thing it's a bit of a diy platform type thing where you just tick a box okay you're balanced we've got this great balanced portfolio for you it's nothing it's it's just a box ticking you're not getting advice what would you 
ask me though without your risk profile and risk questionnaire what would be your sort of first question to me would you like to live in poverty in your old age interesting (laughs) (laughs) um how long i need to know what your aims are so mark what's this money for okay so you might be telling me it's for your school fees in two years time sure and, and if it is we might be taking a different approach to to it than if it's for retiring in 20 years time yeah so there are, i think those type of things are more important than the questionnaire um I'd probably ask you how you felt during this pandemic if you did log in and see your value down 30%. Hmm. Um, Because remember, the key thing, volatility is not the same as risk. Yep. So just because things are volatile, everyone's had volatility at the moment. Globally, you you can't get away from that. Can my um, capacity for volatility, which I guess is what we're really talking about, yeah, can it be different for different things, for different goals? Yeah, then you get into what's known as um, mental accounting. There's a very good book by... What's his bloody name? I can't remember his name. I have to try and remember. There's a very good book about mental accounting where you in your mind you treat different money differently yeah so if you um win 10 pounds on the lottery you might treat that differently to 10 pounds you got given um i'll rephrase that because 10 pounds is a bad example if you win 50 grand on the lottery you might treat that money mentally to 50 grand you've earned as income so you're probably a bit more likely this is not you one with behavioral biases is more likely to be, be a bit more frivolous with that fifty thousand pound from the lottery than they are with their fifty thousand pound salary but in reality there's no reason why you should treat one differently from the other fifty thousand pounds is fifty thousand pounds yeah but you get the fifty thousand all at once from the lottery Whereas your salary is over a year. Okay. I gave it, I, I need to find the book to give you the, <laughs> okay, the, the really. real examples, but okay. do you understand what I'm saying? Or yeah. if you inherit a thousand pounds, you might treat that differently to the thousand pounds you get in your pay packet sure. every month. But you're saying you shouldn't. Correct. Because money is money. So, so you're saying, can I be, could I have wouldn't, a different yeah, wouldn't uh, I capacity be different? for volatility? Yeah. Well, you can, it goes back to what I was saying before about your um, what the money is for. Yeah. So the, the money for school fees in two years' time, you do have a different capacity for volatility because if in two years' time that money is down 30%, you can't pay your kids' school fees. Yeah. Whereas if the retirement pot is down 30% in two years time you don't care because you're not going to touch it for 28 years yeah but if everything is in one pot yeah it's mental accounting thing and we just know that your combined pot is going to cover school fees 
retirement and everything else along the way, then it shouldn't really matter. But you raise a very good point about capacity for it's called we call it capacity for loss. Yeah. It, it, like with the compliance and the regulation. So can you afford to lose any of that money? Which again is another stupid one. No one wants to lose their money. Yeah. But so you're saying it's better to have it all in one pot rather than to have your a whole load of different pots with different goals. From a from an emotional point of view, it helps to separate it into different pots. So you can have this pot that says it's for my kids' school fees. You can have this pot that says it's for holidays. You can have this pot that's for, um, I don't know, retirement, as we keep saying. But from a planning point of view, it doesn't necessarily work. What do you think? Well, because that's one of the things I quite like about the DIY platforms is that you get to set a goal and then it will will often be graphs showing how close you are to it and then you actually know what you're investing for and i don't know the thought of just saying oh i've got this pot of money here that i'll occasionally dip into when i reach the goals it does it's i don't know planning it yeah it's the emotions emotionally it doesn't sound as much as of a journey it just sounds more of a thing you're doing what, what you need to do, Mr. Shoffman, hmm. is you need to um, contact your advisor for your annual planning meeting, <laughs> which I'm sure they've, which I understand is they've been chasing you for a while. Yeah, to, it's very hard to, to find the time. <laughs> because you'll remember when you see your plan um, in colour on the screen, how you are taking that approach already of it's all in one pot. But every goal is marked along the way and you can see along the way if you're going to achieve those goals. Okay. Okay, so uh, note to Mark. I think one of the issues there, pinning down my wife. As what separately, you private life is. Uh, <laughs> is uh, because, but that it brings me to an interesting point is what if you have a couple and one of them is adventurous and one of them is more cautious. I'm not talking about my sex life again. This is... <laughs> investing strategies how do you balance that well again the first the most important thing is to understand the aims and the goals okay and emotions and fears and everything because so what if one's more fearful so what are the goals okay so what are you what is this money for what are you trying to achieve with it we want to i don't yeah this is for university fees okay and if you are investing together, then we got. To, then there's got to be a compromise somewhere. If you are managing your money separately, then it doesn't really matter because you can have different approaches. But in reality, most families will look at their finances together. So you need to have some sort of agreement and compromise as to what you're doing. We've got a lot of clients where, let's say we've got a, a stocks and shares ISA for the husband and wife, they might have a different risk um, appetite within the within the ISIS and one's in a different portfolio to the other is it the best thing from a financial planning point of view no but does it give them the emotional comfort that they need yes and usually we'll start off like that and over time we'll then tend to come to a 
one approach, um, one one uh, portfolio approach. I think you need to, one thing to remember is that the the recommended investment should be designed primarily to meet the objective, not the other way around. So that's so why I keep saying, understand what the people are trying to achieve. You want the investments designed to meet an objective, but not have a risk profiler and then design a investment around that. Do you think the these risk profiling tools are putting people in the wrong types of portfolios and means could put people's investments at risk? Not not mean they're necessarily too risky, but it just means people could be on the wrong, have the wrong plan. That's what I mean. Um, it is the main thing is to be invested. So if you are invested, you're you're halfway there. Okay, you you sort of that's that's the the biggest hurdle. Don't be in um, cash. Um, don't be in cash. So if you're invested, that's that's half the battle. No one's ever going to be in the perfect portfolio. It's impossible to always have the the best fund or the top shares or whatever it is. So you've just got to be invested. That's the, the main thing. And to manage your own behaviours and to not make fundamental mistakes like selling everything when the market dips. So as long as you remain invested, whether that portfolio is cautious, balanced, adventurous, yes, it might not be perfect for you, but you're doing something right. So for our DIY listeners, don't panic about being in the wrong portfolio. The thing you panic about is is not having a plan, not having your goals and, and aims and everything lined up. That's what I'd be more worried about. Okay. Is it? An interesting quote. I was trying to look up about keeping your head when others are. What does that? What's that quote? Massive. Well, yeah, it's from the poem "If." I yeah. think just showing my cultural knowledge. Oh, very good. My, my favourite poem by Rudyard Kipling. Yeah. Uh, about keeping your head when all of um, all about you are losing theirs. And yeah. I'm not sure if it's either blaming it on you or blaming it on others. Um, but that's what happens. That's what yeah. happens. Uh, this last three months, people have made massive mistakes and lost huge amounts of money by just dumping their portfolios and putting it in cash. Yeah. And what annoys me even more than that is people, um, advisors, pretending they know what's going to happen and telling their clients, oh, we've got to tweak this bit of the portfolio. Let's sell this. Let's go into cash and, and we're going to wait and then we're going to buy back in. It is utter rubbish. Any advisor that tells you that is lying and they'll tell you, here, all cash is king at the moment and all this stuff. Complete and utter Yeah, nonsense. I've seen a few. It's weird to have seen actual regulated professional advisors who've said we've sold our clients, sold out on some of our portfolios and we're just waiting to go back in. Yeah, it seems... That is the old school approach when it was a, a product-based industry where you made your money from selling, flogging pensions and things to ISAs to clients, yeah. um, and you got your commission. In t- in today's modern world, this is we're trying to some of us are trying to make this a profession. 
not an industry. I think it was, yeah. And they sound, I don't know, they sound more like kind of stock traders. And yeah, that, and, and you know what? The problem is people still buy into that. So you'll get, you'll get clients who think they come to you because they want you to, to be buying and selling different funds and things for them and moving them out and tweaking it. That is not where the value is in having a, a planner. If you want someone to do that, you're wasting your money. That is, you just go on a DIY platform and, and deal with that. That okay. annoys me that. Sorry for uh, I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. You sound angry. I don't like it when you're angry. But sometimes I'll say to clients, I'm not the advisor for you. I'm not the planner for you. If you just want someone to tweak funds, A, you're wasting your money, and B, it's impossible to do. You can't time the market. One day, some of these advisors will wake up and realize uh, they're just talking nonsense. Right. I've got, quite, I've got to do a little, um, little quiz on you. Okay. Because I um, was listening to a talk last week. There was a summit for financial advisors. Uh, it was a conference. It was an online conference, and it was called – I'm just going to look up the name of it. Aren't they all online these days? Exactly. Do you remember when you used to go to another building during the day? I remember those days. It was called the Live 20 Virtual Summit. So it was a week-long um, online conference, and there was about four or five speakers a day. I haven't watched them all live. I'm watching some of them back. but. As an, as an advisor I know and like called Andy Hart, and he's created this uh, informed risk scale. Um, and similar to what we're talking about, what he does is he ranks uh, assets from riskiest to least risky to most risky. So I'm just going to pick a few of these out to okay. see how you would rank them. Um, so I'm going to give you in no particular order a few thing so cash deposits is one of them um are we to answer as you say it no i'll kind of come come on to it in the end okay um a share in a single company fads so things like bitcoin and global equities at least risky for the so of those four yeah yeah what would you say is the for the investor, for the, the financial literate, what would you say is the least risky to the most risky? So there was, I gave you cash. I gave you um, property. I gave you a share in one company and a global equities. Based on informed risk, yeah, you'd say that the equities are least risky, that the deposits and and Bitcoin are most risky. And what was the other one? Property. And property would be towards the least risky. You've got it. You're there. Yes. You're pretty much. You're pretty much there. You you get it now. So it's uh, the the riskiest thing is probably buying into a fad or a craze. It's mm. taking the most risk. Something like a Bitcoin or classic cars or fine wines. That's your your riskiest thing. We want our clients to invest in what has stood the test of time and always worked, not what's hot at the moment. Doesn't mean you cannot get lucky and make money, but that's like get rich quick schemes. It's not yep. going to happen all the time. Next, you've got, and I'm going from riskiest to, to least risky. Next, you've got a buying shares in one small company. 
like a startup. Mm-hmm. And then you've got buying shares in big companies like a, a Marks and Spencer's. Next along the line, you might be surprised in, in terms of risk is cash deposits. Mm-hmm. And why as advisors, we probably have that as the next risk use is because of inflation. Over a 30-year retirement, if you have your money in cash deposits, you're wiped out. Then government bonds and corporate bonds. So a bit less risky than cash. Yep. Okay. Then we've got um, commodities and alternatives, emerging market funds, property, and global equities, the great companies of the world. So we have time for, but I hope that's uh, informed people about risk and the importance of informed risk rather than just a risk questionnaire. You're just staring at me, but yeah. I thought you were talking to our listeners. I didn't no, know I was talking, talking to you. To me. Yeah, I also hope it's informed people about that. I'm going to stop recording. Okay. Please remember, anything discussed in this programme should not be viewed as financial advice. But if you do need support, please contact me at mark, M-A-R-C, at cavendishcontent.com or visit the Orchard Practice website at www.topfs.co.uk. You can also find us on Twitter at InforAPennyPod1, at Mark Schoffman and at Josh Gersler. If you'd like to leave us feedback, there's a link in the show notes telling you how to do that. We really appreciate any comments you provide. And do post any financial issues you'd like us to cover. Thank you for being in for a penny.